it's not the kind of a business that you can sell on for hundreds of millions. Anyway, I wouldn't want to do it. I have a passion for this and I can't get rid of it. And it's, <laughs> there's no tablets for it. So. <laughs> the Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland. You might have seen our guests today pacing up and down the side of a herding field or maybe gliding glamorously around his five-star resort. This is the Architects of Business, Joe's weekly series of interviews with leading entrepreneurs in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. I'm Ty Genrys and today I'll be speaking to Liam Griffin, the All-Ireland winning former Wexford hurling manager and the owner of Griffin Group Hotels, which includes the world-leading Monart Spa. The decision to push into the luxury market came when trouble was brewing for his other hotels. I could see the crash coming. When your back is to the wall and you think there's something coming down the tracks, <laughs> thinking outside the box is what's necessary. Liam said about creating a dedicated spa hotel, which is not everyone's cup of tea. He said, well, I'll tell you one thing, I'm not getting into that robe. I met him 20 minutes later coming down along the corridor. In, in the robe. In the robe. He said, I was going down the corridor, and he was from Cork, and I met that big Paul O'Connell coming down in a robe. And I said, Jesus, I'm going after him. And he, <laughs> you can have all the luxury in the world, but Liam knows that the right environment is created by the right people on your team. It's the, the, people, the people who work there. Up, the people who work there, because if you're going to be trying to relaxation and you want, you need to be, you need to be, you need people who are friendly and who are nice and who are genuinely caring. Today we'll hear Liam's thoughts on keeping your eye on the game and going all in when the going gets tough. Liam Griffin, uh, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us. It's really great to uh, really great to meet you. Um, it's try. It's it's incredible, really, to 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 think about you running you know, the hotels that, that you had while at the same time, you know, leading Wexfords to, to All-Ireland glory back in the day. I mean, surely one had to be sacrificed of the other. Did the business maybe get overlooked for the, those couple of years while you were focusing on the hurling? Would you believe that for the most part it didn't because uh, uh, that's all down to my own team. I spoke to them before I ever took the job in the end. Uh, retrospectively though we have suffered because we did a major building job during the course of that and uh, a few years ago like last year we had to find a lot of money to carry out some works that we shouldn't really have ever had to do but look at that's 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 uh, that's now and it's happened at a time when you know look it didn't happen a few years earlier when we were struggling anyway with the recession but, but anyway look at you know, you can't even do a job like that, but uh, it's going to take something. And uh, unfortunately, yes, I did a little bit, but it's over and done now and we're through it again, hopefully. Yeah, because so you can't really focus on two things at one time. I mean, you, you point out there, yeah. Operationally, we were fine. Operationally, we were fine. We were really, really good, but we had a major building job on at the time as well. And like, there's no question about it. Uh, you know, something has to give. Because a, a previous building jobs, I'd crawl every inch of the place morning, noon, and night. So I suppose a little bit of lack of, uh, of focus on that uh, because of my involvement. But that involvement was my own choice. Hmm. What was that time like for you? Oh, it was hectic. Like, I'll be honest, it's two, two jobs. Um, I worked as many hours practically I was doing. I was doing certainly doing 80 hour weeks minimum uh, at that stage but I used to get up very early in the morning and I used to really plan for the for the hurling side of it because I had to I had to you know I'm, you're dealing with you're dealing with a, uh, you know a 
30, 35 players, you're dealing with a whole backroom team, you're dealing with media, dealing with all so many things to be get, to be done. But my focus was performance on the field and trying to get that right. And uh, a lot of study uh, as well, which people wouldn't know. If, you know, ours is an amateur game. You're looking for all best practice. You're looking at stuff on the, on the training side. You're dealing with people who are doing physical training for you, but you need to know yourself. I don't think you can just offload anything. You really need to know because... It's about the game, and a hurling is is a different type of a game. I'm not saying it's uh, it's better than any other game. Uh, I would think it is, but that's my view. But from our perspective, there's lots of things in hurling that that uh, that you know touch and freshness, and I think freshness is one of the most important things in hurling. And that's interesting in the modern game that doesn't seem time to freshen players up, but the training is different. So you had to get everything pretty right. So that meant. It's a, it's at least a forty-hour week. Was there anything you learned from your time coaching the hurlers that you've applied in in business? I would say I have learned more from sport that I brought to business than I ever brought to sport uh, that I ever brought to sport from business. The other way around. So, from my point of view, <clears throat> you learn a lot because first of all, you've got to have good emotional intelligence to manage a hurling team or to manage any kind of a team because you know you. You can be a Brian Clough who was a total dictator and head the ball. So, like, I'm probably head the ball a different way. But that day is gone, you know. You have to manage players differently nowadays. And if you want to get the best out of them. But I think the biggest management of teams that I see is knowing the player inside out. So you're putting putting him where he can actually perform to his best of his ability. And I think that's, I think that's a skill. I really do. I think you've, you've got to have an eye for what a fella's good at and a guy, an eye for what he's not particularly good at. So I know I was never big and strong on eye playing. I was, I was tall enough, but I was, I was slight. And uh, I was playing in, in positions that, they weren't to, that didn't best suit me. And I learned that lesson very hard from, from a few smacks, smacks I got. So I learned that don't put guys in positions that they're not comfortable in themselves. And taking that though and applying it to business, I mean, obviously, as as, as a coach, you know your squad inside yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in in the hotel game that you're in, mm. uh, can the can the boss, can the manager really be so in tune with 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 everyone uh, working? No, in, in, no, in no, the not not necessarily. But but you can be in tune with a lot of the key people that that, that you know that you know, and you're on the same wavelength as them. And I think being on the same wavelength, it's bound to emotional intelligence, isn't it? I mean, if if you have the emotional intelligence. Uh, not arrogant, not oh, no, not narcissistic, not, you know, em, uh, you know, empathy. But then, you know what? Job needs to be done, guys, and uh, that that has to get back to that as well. Uh, whatever takes you back to the job's got to be done. Well, that's it. It has to happen. Do you, did, have you managed your staff in the way that you manage players? I mean, if a player was underperforming, yeah, they might get put on the bench for a while. Yeah, can you, can you do that in, in in business? No, not really, not really. I mean, if if they introduce a HR manager to sports teams on the sideline, and you have to go to talk to them first, and then bring the guy up and say, "Stop the game. We got to have a chat here. Is it okay if I move you?" That's not going to happen in sport. Uh, and in business, that's that's major part of business nowadays. And rightly so. It's overdone sometimes, absolutely overdone. Is it excessive? Of course it is. But is it necessary? I believe it is. Listen, uh, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, which came first, the love of sport or the love of hospitality? The love of sport. Um, <clears throat> like... Uh, for me, I just uh, was mad into sport from the time I was a kid. I was really, really mad into sport from the time 
I'd say seven or eight, nine, I started really into it. Wexford were doing very well at that time and so I, uh, hurling, uh, even though I was from a parish that didn't have uh, really any hurling club to be honest, uh, I just was crazy on the game and um, played endlessly on my own against the wall. I was like, uh, I often think now when I see young guys on iPads, I never left a hurley out of my hand. My mum would be chasing me and all sorts to get me into the house. But So look, at the sport came first for me and I was into athletics and I was into any kind of sport, loved it all. And did you have a? Did you always want to kind of pursue that into your adulthood as well? Yeah, I think when I was younger, that my visions was uh, my vision was to be uh, playing for Wexford and Crow Park on the on the very big days. That never happened because life changed. Uh, life uh, life took over actually. So but you could have started heading in that direction, but then you stopped. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I headed in that direction. I was doing very well. I was doing very well when I was young, but. My parents had started a very small hotel. My my father was a guard and my mum was a farmer's daughter and uh, from North Wexford and they met in Wexford, got married, obviously. And uh, my mother had a background in hospitality and I think this is where it started. I would say my kids are fourth generation in the business now. My grandfather died as a very young man, uh, at 42, out ploughing, got pneumonia. It was incurable at that stage, died. My mother was the eldest. She was 12 when he died. And, you know, following on from that, the economic war started between Ireland and Britain. We declared war and wouldn't buy British stuff. And so, like, it became very difficult in farming. So they had a nice a nice house and they started a farm guest house uh, for to try and supplement their, you know, my, my grandmother being a widow. And that was it. So the, the so oldest that, form of so, Airbnb. So, yes, exactly. It was Airbnb. So they started that off. And this is before rural, rural electrification had spread in certain areas. So... When my father and my mum got married, they moved to, to Rosslare and my mother started off in guest house business again. So it was part of our tradition and part of our family kind of from the time I was a small child. But given that you were so committed to, to, to hurling and you mm. had your ambitions in hurling, mm. why did you decide to, to, to park the the player as the playing aspect of it at least? I never saw that coming really, to be honest. But when, 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 when I went to college... Um, I didn't apply myself as well um, study-wise uh, as I should have had probably. So I, I hadn't a massive amount of options, but that's not, that wasn't the case. That wasn't the, that wasn't the problem. Uh, but my parents had started off a small business. They'd put three of us through boarding school uh, on a guard salary at that stage. But I was down to the entrepreneurial side. My mother started a knitwear business as well uh, in the back of the house and, you know, so I had a great affinity with what they had done and the struggle they had made to to, to, to give us a, a good education. And I then went to Shannon to the hotel school. And co- when I went to the hotel school in Shannon, I, I started playing hurling for a fantastic club. I thought I'd landed in heaven, Newmarket and Fergus. And then I wound up playing for Clare. So I played for Clare in the championship and uh, after one of the championship games, I was gone to America, to, to, I've gone to Switzerland the following Wednesday week and they were going on to play further and Wexford won that All-Ireland that year. If in only it's stuck with Was it not treasonous heading yeah. off to play for Clare? Well, no, well, you see, I couldn't come back to Wexford. I mean, it was impossible to come back and I was down in Shannon, so yeah. I, I played for Clare and that was it. So, like, but I felt a great pull of, uh, of uh, loyalty to my own family. So, uh, the, you know, my dad actually said in his own inimitable way when he was young, you know, 
would you like to go into the business? And I did like the business. I loved the business. And he, I said, I would, yeah. He said, well, I'm making a few about it and I know nothing about it. So go get yourself educated. <laughs> and I went to Shannon and that's basically what happened. And it's a good place to go and learn. Uh, Shannon Great Hotel, it was absolutely, the that stage, it was under the, uh, under, uh, the director of the hotel school. It was a man called Jorgen Bloom. He was a Swiss man, former Swiss army man. He was an incredible guy and uh, we had short backs and sides when the Beatles were going strong. So uh-huh. that'll, that'll tell you. <laughs> he, he ran a tight he, ship. He, no, well, he had to run a tight ship because we were in the hospitality business. We weren't in the business of going to San Francisco to yeah. do a bit of flower power. We, we were going a different direction. So I tell you, them Swiss know how to do hotels. I, I was, I was um, in Switzerland not too long ago uh, and the hotel I stayed in had a chocolate butler. Yeah, and this is a fairly run-of-the-mill hotel, yeah, a business yeah, yeah. hotel, and yeah. around at four o'clock every day, somebody knocks on the door yeah. and says, "Would you like some chocolate?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? <clears throat> I think the Swiss, I, living in Switzerland, I, I have to say, their whole system, their whole system of their structures. That we can say what we like about fellas investing money there, but what, all their structures, they have a canton system, and you know, it's 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 a, like the federal government and the local government, and they've got three languages. But my God, is it well organized? It's a complicated it, it, system, but, but it, it runs works. like a, a well-greased machine. It works, machine. and everything that they have works. So you went, you, Switzerland was, was one of the places you worked in after Shannon. No, no, you, I, was, I, was still, I was still part of Shannon, but I went to Switzerland as part of my, my course in Shannon, and I worked for Movenpick. And I was very, very lucky to work for Movenpick because uh, it became a great organisation as a worldwide, or well, it's not people, worldwide. People probably know them better for their ice cream than their and hotels. And that was invented right at the back of where I used to work, and it was fantastic. And the guy who, who, ran, who was the, the founder was a man called Yuli Prager, and he was an absolutely in, incredible man. And uh, he used to be in and out every day into our place. And they had a, a test kitchen at the back of the of, of our main restaurant where I was. They had a test kitchen which pre checked every single dish, and that was their job nonstop. And he was way before his time, and it grew into a big company. He'd no successors, and the business was sold on. But it was an enormous opportunity for me to learn from one of the all-time greats, as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, after you did your your education at Shannon, was it straight back to the family business then? No, it wasn't. What happened was I went to Trust House Forte then. They were the biggest hotel group in the world at the time. So, I worked for Trust House Forte. And then I came back and worked for Intercontinental Hotels in Dublin, where Jury's used to be, uh, you know, Ballsbridge. That was Intercontinental before that. And I came back there as a junior assistant uh, when I finished uh, as part of Shannon when I qualified and then I went to work for Board Falcher for a few years after I was in in the in the Intercon for, for a while and I worked for Board Falcher so I felt like that I had a good rounding in all aspects of the business and I worked in London during the when, uh, in the marketing side of Board Falcher when the bombs were going off and we were sent over to uh, like I was in a standards advisor which was a different department but I was seconded to the marketing department and the guy who, who seconded me told me I'm not bringing you over for your for your slick beautiful personality because you're a good tick country fella and you might be able to help us because we need Irish to come back to Ireland <laughs> so with that I went well boosted up <laughs> so anyway got into was, the parse it was a tough tough gig I can imagine, yeah. Tough gig, but it had to be done. Yeah, was it? Was this all with a view to eventually going back to, to, all, to your yeah, roots, I, as yeah, it were? Yeah, to going back to my own. I, uh, <clears throat> the pull of home for me, you know, it's... Uh, my 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 grandparents are all buried in Boulevard Garrett Graveyard. I'm involved in Wexford. I feel very very fond of Wexford. And when you say the cliche, your own place as is often used, it meant enough lot to me. And I wanted to go home. I always wanted to go home. I always wanted to go back to Wexford. So 
uh, I did eventually. My dad had died and, uh, and uh, I bought the hotel from my own mother, actually, for half its value. Ah, she did, did you a good deal then? She did me a good deal. I had two brothers and fair Jews and was, I was very happy to do it. But at the borrow the money at 22%, that wasn't great. No, I can imagine. It was imagine. just going crazy that time. Yeah. But that's what it took to start off and that's it. And, and you haven't looked back, obviously. No, well, you know, so, yeah, it's been a tough, a tough gig for a long time. But look, at, uh, I'm, I'm happy with what we've done. I'm happy with what we've achieved. And I'm sure my parents uh, would be happy with what we, wh- where we've come to with our business. What year was it when you, when, when you started? I started 1974 on my own, on my own in Rosslare with my wife and four others. And uh-huh. uh, that's it. Uh, and my wife uh, Mary was fantastic she rode into the, and helped out as well and it was tough going we, were, we had a baby at that stage Michael who's now the CEO reared in a room overhead uh, at a hotel and both of us working downstairs and up and down it, it was it was really tough but it was it, uh, it was it was great and we we, 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 got, we got it off the ground eventually and uh, went on from there and went on with with, with you know great strides to taking over the the, the ferry carrig in, yeah. in in Wexford yeah, and then hotel. ultimately uh, Hotel Kilkenny yeah. in, in in Kilkenny obviously yeah, as well yeah, yeah. what were those big leaps like I mean how did you kind of you know muster the troops and get the money together well from our perspective like we were in a very confined site in Rosslare and it became a kind of a a forerunner for the Celtic Tiger. It became over over hoteled. The a small village with four hotels in it. It wasn't sustainable, and it wasn't sustainable. The port, uh, the port was good, but not great. It wasn't. Uh, you know, <clears throat> you'd like to have seen the port a much stronger player in Ireland. And I think, I think, I hope it hasn't missed the boat now. The port of Roster Harbour. Just uh, to, to well, it was kind of bu- was it was a budget air travel kind of put paid to people travelling so much by boat. No, it's funnily enough, uh, the the big thing that uh, that threatened the port was 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 uh, actually the jet the jet plane for sure when it came in first. But then the 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 the, uh, the shipping companies re- reacted with uh, the drive-on, drive-on of car ferries. Mm. Now you could leave Britain and come to Ireland and, you know, bring your own car. So that, that was a huge, uh, the drive-on, drive-off facility made it, uh, made it huge. And that counteracted it very much so, the, 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 the tourism uh, with true air. Yeah. So what was it made you, I think we were talking about it just a little bit earlier, how did you kind of muster the money together to get that, um, uh, start making those incremental investments into big kind of, you know, uh, four-star properties? Yeah, well, what happened was, that, like, from our perspective, we worked like hell to try and see could we build up a substantial nest egg of our own and then try to identify areas outside of, of, of where, you know, of Ross Lair that we might, we might, you know, see an opportunity that we might be able to take advantage of and uh, I went into partnership with a friend of mine who was actually who had been in England for several years and had done very well in business and we became great friends he was a big customer of ours and eventually uh, you know we, he became a, a, a very minority partner but at the same time it gave us the opportunity to grow the business from there and uh, so we started in Hotel Kilkenny and uh, you know Kilkenny looked to be a you know a good a good place to go, and it looked to be uh, some somewhere where we could would really do well. And we bought the hotel Kilkenny at that stage, which was then called the Rose Hill Hotel, and uh, we moved on from there again. So, uh, in all your years of 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 you know running hotels, what are the kind of the 
the golden rules that you've uh, accumulated when it comes to, to giving the guests the best experience? Well, you know, it's not all about the bells and whistles either, you know. I mean, we've, we've, we've come from very, very ordinary beginnings in the hotel business, but at the same time, um, we ran a good business and we ran a good business within in, in the in the grading which we were. Now I, I had been a standards advisor as well and that, that had, had stood so to that me. That being the people who went out and said actually this is a three star, four yeah, star. Yeah, it was part of the grading. Grading was a major part of your your job and also at that time Board Falcha was structured in a, in a better way in my view uh, from a development point point of view at that stage than it is today uh, in Falch Ireland because at that stage uh, people uh, applied for grant aid to, to do particular jobs all around the country and they had to pass a, a process they had to show that it, that the, the product was uh, sustainable to, to show that it, it, it was a going to survive business. and that it was a sound business. So we became part of that as standards advisors looking at the plans and then sitting with architects and sitting with various people and see what their vision was. You, you know, you couldn't come in and, and into Board Falch and say, you know, we're going to take 20% of our business going to be German if the whole area had 3% of it. You were going to take 20%. How? How are you going to do all that? So you had to show good how, how you were going to develop the business. And that kept a, that kept a control uh, on the entire st- structural development of Irish tourism in terms of hotels in particular and for other parts and it meant that you were you were building for purpose so what happened in the crash we we, we had hotels going up everywhere and it was a free for all and uh, a lot of them went to, into, into NAM in the end particularly ones in, in the country so that system worked and I'd been part of that system so I had a good a good idea of what it took to, to make to make it work and uh, obviously we had to satisfy the people within the, the pre- our grade that we were in and we did and I was quite satisfied about how, that. How do you strike that balance though between giving a guest you know all the, the, the bells and whistles that, mm. they, that they might want yeah. but also you know keeping an eye on the bottom line and making sure that actually you're making so money with great difficulty with great difficulty it's a very very difficult uh, task to try and keep like your labour cost, you know, has got to be right. Your all of your various costs have to be right, and your service has to match it as well. So, I suppose it's up to you to produce a product that you feel you can you can you can manage each individual part of it and deliver the service on it as well. It might be at at a two star level, three star level, four star level, five star level. It doesn't matter. At each one of those, you've got to deliver what it says on the tin at that particular grade. And, you know, it's a matter of balance and it's a matter of knowing what you're doing. And it's a matter of being hands-on, I think, especially as, you, as you're trying to grow the business. And I would always have been hands-on uh, all, all, my time, all my life. And I like being hands-on. Yeah. I, I mean, do, do you enjoy the interaction with guests and kind of playing, I love the, it. playing the plomoser? Love it. I love it. Absolutely love it. And I, and I love, uh, you know, you meet some great people. Okay, you meet a odd guy. You must meet a few assholes as well. Yeah, <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they didn't know that. Um, the only trick there is you don't tell them that. Exactly. You, you <laughs> but, don't uh, let them realise yeah, they're yeah, an asshole. Yeah. No, look at... but. Everybody has a point of view, and uh, and I think sometimes I don't respond to criticism. I, I I criticism, like you don't want criticism, but when you get it, you got to deal with it. And oftentimes there may be only a grain of truth in some of the things. Sometimes, but there's a grain, and if there's a grain there, you you need to get it. You need to get it and sort it out. So I think customer feedback is very good. I think feedback is better now than it, than it was a few years back. Uh, a few years back. Uh, I think we've changed as a as a people. We're we're I think we're I think we're actually more reasonable in lots of areas now than we were in the past, and 
the other the other thing is that the only danger thing now with a lot of uh, a lot of the younger people is they just don't come back. Yeah, uh, if they're not happy, they don't say anything, but don't come back. Now you'd be better off if the if the if, the, if they had a word if they had a word and I think I would encourage people to always have a word it makes sense there's also a lot of criticism of the hotel industry these days that yes. you know you talk about you know the Nama days you know the country was on its knees you had loads of, of, of empty hotels that were been taken <coughs> over by an administrator yeah. uh, now we're, we're back in a place where there's a shortage of hotel rooms people are criticising how much you know room rates and things like mm-hmm. that particularly in the cities how do you kind of see that how do you respond to that criticism I think the criticism is fair in relation to Dublin, uh, and it's maybe fair in some of the other capital cities. I'm not. A, I'm not sure it's, it's to the same extent, but Dublin was under hotel certainly for a while. But you must remember, like I mean, people just skip a beat here. Some of the hotels are owned by vulture funds. They have a vested interest in driving those rates into the ceiling as far as they can get them, right? And to think that putting on four point five percent VAT. That's not that's not a vat on hotels. That's a vat on the people. That's the people pay that. And uh, the point is that it's not it's not that's not taking it from from the hotels. They want to drive it up, at the, particularly the ones that are vulture funds, because they walk out sev- after seven years tax free. They don't even pay a cent. That was what the government decided to do to get it ha- to happen. So inst- to handle that, the government decides that okay, Dublin is out of hand. So we, what we'll do is. We'll tax them all. Well, the occupancy percentage in Wexford is 72%. And occupancy around the country in lots of areas is lower than that. So we hit every publican who's struggling already. You know, yeah. the post office is gone. The pub is closed till six o'clock. So we hit them as well. So we brought in another typical Irish blunt instrument and we say, right, we'll beat you all up because Dublin are doing it that way. And I resent it very much. And I, yes, there's no thought has gone into this. At the time when, we're, when Brexit's an issue, so who in a business would say there's a big threat coming over here because we've lost uh, 6% in the British, uh, of the British market? Uh, we've lost more than that, sorry. We've lost a good percentage. You can't think of it just off the top of my head. We've lost a good percentage of the British market. It's still our number one, uh, still our number number one, uh, our, our number one market. And we've lost a lot of that. And then we put the rate up at the same time. So I think it was a blunt instrument. And if they wanted to do something where the problem was, solve the problem at source. A strong message. Uh, Liam Griffin, uh, really interesting stuff so far. Do stay with us because still to come on the Architects of Business, we're going to be hearing more about the hotel spa that Liam began has become a world leader. You're listening to the Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Visit eoy.ie to find out more about the programme and this year's finalists. Get in touch. Mail us on the Architects of Business at Joe.ie. Salim, uh, when was it that you, you know, you had the ferry carriage, you had Kilkenny, but you decided you wanted to do something, something new, and something, something kind of different and bigger. Well, uh, I could see the crash coming. Uh, I said it at the time. I said it in an interview. I think it was the Times uh, that there's a crash coming in the hotel industry. Either we're going to have too many people, too many tourists trying to fill all these bedrooms, or we're going to not have enough. Uh, you, you know, we're going to have we're just overhotelled at that particular stage around the country. So what year was this? I said that I said it in two thousand and two or three, uh, but we'd already made a move ourselves to do something about it because we could see I could see it coming before that because so hotels were going up all around the place, and you were saying 
if we want to fill all these, like, for example, what's happened since, like, there's been a revolt in places like Barcelona that want tourism limited. There's been a vote lots of places. Mm. Uh, you know, you even hear people talk about Temple Bar. Oh, you, you know, we, there's a revolt even in Ireland. An undercurrent that's not happy with, we say, that kind of volume of business. So you could see this was going, this was going to happen. So I said, right, we've got to do something about this as a business. So I, want, I, I, I didn't want to, to di- diversify to something else because, you know what, I don't know enough about other things to start having a, a, a lash at stuff. So we said, right, we need to come up with something different. And this was controversial within our own business. So I, I came up with the idea myself that we needed to do that. And I'm not saying that to be boastful about me and that ideas. It was just, you know what, when your back is to the wall and you think there's something coming down the tracks, <laughs> thinking, things, thinking outside the box is what's necessary. So we came up with the idea that we do something. And, and I come to this from sport as well, by the way. So my sporting background and, you know, all the talk about people in Ireland about how obesity is a problem. Yes, it is. Massive problem. But there was never as many fit people in Ireland, in my opinion. Never, ever. In my, and I'm a long time around now. It's like a health divide. I'm on the second lap now at this stage. <laughs> yeah, right. But listen, so what was so, the big idea? So the idea was we'd start uh, a destination spa that we wouldn't do births, deaths, marriages, communions, confirmations, golf groups, tent parties, no business, no meetings. Okay, that's it. So, now that was fairly controversial when we started to launch this first and we needed to come north of Enniscorthy. I wanted to stay in County Wexford. I'm from Wexford. I'm proud of where I come from and I wanted to do it in Wexford. Also, it meant it was in the southeast as well. It was more controllable, right? So, and it, it felt that it, makes, it made sense. So, <clears throat> We sourced the cap, looking for a place, and we found a place. Eventually, we had a meeting between the uh, the managers and in Ferry Carrig, were a little bit out of nose out of joint. And the point was that they said, like, that we're sitting here by a beautiful river location, and we want to go to Enniscorthy to build a, a to build a spa. When we eventually get right. So the point was, why don't we do it here? And my point is, we do everything here. And that's what every other hotel in Ireland is doing now because all of the new developers have said, oh, they have a crash and stick a crash on the back as well. Oh, Jim, stick one out over the far side. So you wound up with hotels trying to be everything. And so we said, we're going to just stay in the business we know and we're going to specialise. Um, we, we do exactly the kind of model as we said. And that's exactly how the, uh, the idea came about. And we, we've got Monart House, which is a lovely house, an old house, period house. And we got the land and we bought that and we developed it from so there. So for those who don't know what Monart Spa, what you eventually built, um, is like, how, how do you describe it? To them? It's not ostentatious. It's not meant to be ostentatious. We don't do ostentatious, right? It's meant to be a quality product that you feel comfortable in, that's got the right atmosphere and that you can go and chill out in. Uh, we had a difficulty at the start because a lot of Irish people came instead and they didn't like it, some of them, obviously. Why would they? It wasn't their cup of tea. Where's the karaoke session and where's the, where, where's the band? Well, you know, where's, where's, where's all this entertainment? Where's that? So we, we actually tried to do things whereby we tried to... Uh, get a crowbar at your at your mobile and, and leave it out <laughs> of your pocket uh, to some extent. So what we did was we don't have Wi-Fi in the bedrooms. Oh. Uh, very, we've we've uh, we kind of one area of the play of of, the, of Manart we have good Wi-Fi and we have all of that. And uh, people need that nowadays. So we say you need it, but you don't need it twenty four seven. So know? it's so about relaxation. It's about relaxation, which you don't get in every hotel because they say there could be a confirmation down the corridor. Yeah, and, but that's good too. I mean, we have that in very Carrie yeah. and it's a good hotel. I'm very happy with it. It's a great hotel. It's a, diff- a different product. And so, a different product. And is people perhaps gliding around in dressing gowns in public areas? And yes. Like that? We glide around in the robes. <laughs> and look, at to come down in their pyjamas, 
as well. Yeah. That, that's, if that's putting people off out there, they're probably better off put off. Because I, you I know, we want the customers that want to be where we are. I remember the first time I stayed in a hotel like that. And uh, I was a bit kind of you know awkward walking around in my dressing gown in the, in the public areas like. exactly yeah exactly <laughs> I just wonder I mean do, do, you, do you get a lot of that people kind of resisting well, tell at you, first I'll, and maybe tell, and then changing their mind eventually I'll tell you a funny story a guy came in there oh, six or seven years ago now and he knew me from hurling and he walked in and he said what are you doing here Trying to pay the mortgage. Thanks for coming. <laughs> so <laughs> that's all. So he said, "I don't believe it." So you, I said, "Yeah, I'm a volunteer." Yeah. Jesus, I wouldn't expect you to be volunteer. Why? Because I'm so ugly, or why? Because <laughs> so anyway, it went, it went on, and so he said, "Well, I tell you one thing. I'm not getting into that robe." I said, "Suit yourself. You're here to do what you like. So long as it's legal, you're fine. Just, <laughs> just that's all." So I met him twenty minutes later, coming down along the corridor, in, in the robe. In the robe. Okay, so I said, Christ, it didn't take you long to change your mind. <laughs> he said, and I'm not name dropping, but I'm going to drop it anyway. He said, I was going down the corridor, and he was from Cork, and I met that big Paul O'Connell coming down in a robe. And I said, Jesus, I'm going after him. And, he, <laughs> so, and that's exactly what happened. But would you believe that he was leaving on Sunday morning and there's a crowd in the lobby, and he calls me over and says, Will I tell you something? <laughs> he says, I'm going to be driving a Massey Ferguson tomorrow morning. If you ever tell anyone about this, I'll deny it. He says, I had a facial. <laughs> I said, what? You had a bloody facial? I didn't even have a facial and I'm here five, six years. So, look at it's no big deal whatsoever. It's not even a, uh, a big deal. Even I can go around in a robe. But I don't, like we, those of us that work there obviously are formal in our manner. But, Look at it's meant to be a casual place and it's meant to be like that. And is that's it, what it does. Is there an etiquette as to whether you wear anything beneath the robe? Uh, yes. You better make sure that, uh, uh, you know... Because Ireland's a windy country. No, the biggest problem we had with the foreigners was that they, you know, that we had to make the poor old foreigners put, leave their clothes on and get into the saunas. <laughs> no, they, They're not used to that, all them fins coming that. over. No, no, yeah. no, no. And listen, has it worked? I mean, obviously it's worked out. I mean, you've... Because you've won a big award and... But in terms of the, like the... I, look at... The wards, we have a we have a beautiful building. There's no question about it. I'm very proud of that building. And I really love it to the bits we built it. And I think environmentally, when you look at that building sitting in there, I think I think it fits. And that's what we try to make it do. And the architects and people involved, and Mary Reynolds did the gardens, and Mary's Mary is Mary. She's an amazing lady. But we all got our heads together as well. And Mark Brown, our GM there, who's with me for years and years, we all got our heads together and got around the table and worked out what we wanted done. And we we've developed what what I think is very good. But that's not it. It's the people. It's the, the, the people, people who work there. Up, the people who work there. Because if you're going to be trying to relaxation and you want, you need to be, you need to be, you need people who are friendly and who are nice and who are genuinely caring. And by the way, um, we went to a place in England that shall be well. I don't know whether it should be nameless or not, but it was the forerunner of all of this. And and Michael and myself, Michael had joined our business then, and we went over to to have Check a look it at it. Check it out, and. The biggest thing that I remember was there was a very nice lady behind the desk. She was a beautiful looking girl. She was trying to answer a question for an older lady who she was like getting a bit exasperated with because she didn't know what a hydrofloat was or something. And she, you could see her throwing her eyes up to God. And my point was, that's exactly what we don't need. Yeah. <laughs> we need, we need, we're in rural Ireland. We need caring people. And all of our people are like that and and look it's the people that make it in the end of the day because our repeats are very high we've got very loyal, loyal customers but look at without the staff and without the management and without the leadership from the top it doesn't just doesn't work ours is a different industry and that's it it's a hospitality industry and uh, 
that says hospitality entertain. So that's yeah. it. So listen, what's it like uh, trying to to lead a, a personal slash private life when you're in the hospitality industry? I mean, do you have to be you know, switched on to looking after your guests at all times or have you still got time to kind of switch off and look after yourself and your family? Yeah, you do, but I'd say my family said that I that I might have difficulty with that. <clears throat> look at if you don't live the business, I, I'm not. I'm not strong enough. I, it's not. Uh, it's not the kind of a business that you can sell on for hundreds of millions. Anyway, I wouldn't want to do it. But from my perspective, it's uh, you got to kind of live this business whether you like it or not. So you're never far away from from it, even when you're at home. But that's why sport was a great relief for me. And I would recommend anybody in any business to have a passion for something. Have a passion for something outside your business. That's the only thing that's going to drag you outside the door. Really, if you're really that passionate, you know. And I wanted, uh, I wanted to do a lot of coaching with kids and things because, you know, I wanted to give something back in terms of my own sport. And and uh, I started coaching a lot of kids and, and hurling and so forth. I'm part of the EY board as well, and that's something that I really enjoy. Uh, I won't be there for much longer because we have a system whereby you have to rotate. But I really enjoyed it, and I'd like to think I tried to put something into it because you know what. I feel strongly about young people. I coach young people all my life. We have a lot of things to do on the UI board and we're all entrepreneurs ourselves. And as a group, I think we have a major contribution to make. But it's not for, it's not for now, it's for the future. And, I, and that motivates me to be part of it. We need to change government's thinking about entrepreneurship in Ireland because to half-think it, like most things to do anyway, to half-think it. and They give a bit of a commitment, but they don't give the full commitment. Same if you play for anything. And it's the same thing. So... This is the best organisation I've ever been involved in outside of, of sport and my own business. <clears throat> and I really enjoy it because it's such an eclectic mix of people from all sorts of business. And I love it for that reason. But you know what? If I love it for that reason and I'm getting something out of it, hey, what are you going to give back yourself? That's why I went on the board and I'm delighted I did and I'm glad I'm, I'm, glad I'm part of it. Clearly, you're, you, know, you have a passion for, for, for both you know, big things in your life, the, mm. the business and, yeah. and, and the game. And, yeah. and when you are that passionate, is it hard to actually tell yourself to, to, to give yourself time to switch off and, and just chill out and relax? Yeah, no, look at, um, I regard sport, I regard being on the sideline of a big match as relaxation. <laughs> is it though? Yeah, it is. Well, I know I was asked one time to do a heart monitor for RTE and would I go and do a heart monitor? Uh, we were playing awfully at the time and Eamon Cregan, I think, had agreed to it and I said, no, not even remotely putting anything on me and you're not going to put any microphone Because <laughs> you never know me. what readings might come off of it. No, no, I didn't care. I was happy enough. I always was good and calm. But I want to be focused, 100%. I didn't want to be bothering about a camera going around or bothering about some kind of a microphone on me. I wanted to know I was there to do a job. And if we didn't win and I was distracted for two seconds, in hurling, if a fellow pucks the ball out in the wrong direction and a fellow wins it, he can stick the ball back over the bar from 80 yards. 80 yards over the bar and you might be winning by a point. That's draw. And he put another one over there. So you can't drop your concentration at senior inter-county level. Not possible. Even at minor inter-county level. You can't drop your, your concentration. So, But it, you have to make it a form of relaxation and you have to enjoy it and love it. And I did love it. I did love it. I'd love to have stayed longer but I couldn't. But anyway. Do you ever switch off? Uh, some of my friends would say I don't I have a passion for this and I can't get rid of it and it's <laughs> there's no tablets for it so <laughs> but, uh, and it doesn't sound like you want to anyway I don't want to and look at uh, I talk too much anyway when I get involved in these things but then you never overestimate anybody who talks too much <laughs> you know so that's not a bad not a bad reason not a bad not a bad reason for being a talker but 
like if you have a passion for something and you want to see it and you want to make uh, make it happen that's what you've got to do but if I go on holidays I never even think about business when I go on holidays I never so that's even when you switch off not even think about it even when you're looking around somebody else's hotel no that's it then I'd walk around <laughs> and look at most hotels my wife likes to sit down and lie and I go for walks and where do I, I believe go? they call that a busman's holiday yeah, into hotels but I love hotels I love yeah. them inside out so there's no one going to tell me you know what you're really a bit bit of a header you're going around to all these places but I love it so I'm not going to stop so, you, I mean, will there not come a point where, you, you know, you just can't, uh, you know, be still walking around the hotel and telling awkward, you know, people how to wear their robes? Ah, uh, no, 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 no. I'm, 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 a, I'm no, no, in fairness now, my son, Michael, is the CEO and Liam Anthony works in the business as well. And uh, they're doing a very good job. We've a great team. Uh, we've a lot of people with us a long time. They know exactly what they're doing. They're very committed. They're very good. They've stayed stay with us over through thick and thin. And uh, <clears throat> like I think our business is, is well structured that way. So from that point of view, really look at uh, when I go into the hotels, I'm really peripheral. And at this stage, I just don't, I don't want one of them to say, you know what, mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to take your tablets and go somewhere. You're getting in the way. That's what I don't want to happen. But I don't think that's going to happen. I'm not going to let that happen. I have enough cop on to know that's not going to happen. No doubt. Liam Griffin, fascinating stuff. Thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Architects of Business. Thanks to our guests, Liam Griffin, our producer, Patrick Hohey, and all of the team here at Joe. Our programme is made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Go to eoy.ie to learn more about the finalists for this year. And don't miss out on past or future editions of The Architects of Business by subscribing for free on iTunes, on your favourite Android podcast app, or you can watch us on YouTube. Check out some of Joe's other podcasts too, including Ireland Unfiltered and our movie show, The Big Review Ski. I'm Ty Genrise. Thank you so much for being with us today and I hope to see you again soon. Bye-bye. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland.